Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Topher, Principal Architect of Topher Architecture, and you are listening to New Books Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network dedicated to architecture and its publications. If you have any suggestions on authors who you would love to hear me speak with next, feel free to send me an email at btopher at topherarchitecture.com. Today's guest is Yasser Megahead to talk about his book, Practiceopolis, Stories from the Architectural Profession. Yasser is a senior lecturer at the Leicester School of Architecture, as well as a practitioner. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you very much for being here with me today, and welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Brian, for inviting me. I'm so excited about this interview. Oh, same here. So before we begin, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a kind of a mix of an academic and a practitioner. I studied architecture in Cairo in Egypt and then practiced in the Middle East for about eight years, then started travel to the UK, got my PhD and practice in a practice called Design Office at Newcastle. And uh, from there, it's kind of, this is my story. I'm partly an academic, I'm partly a practitioner. Sometimes I'm focusing on practice. Now I'm uh, kind of more in the academic world and less a school of architecture. Very interesting. And so just dive right in. And so the first question I have, and I'm sure it's one you've heard a hundred times now at, at very least, in all my years of reading architecture, I went to grad school, studying, and all the books I've read now, not once have I ever come across an architectural graphic novel. I was not aware that existed. So I guess the question that I have, and I'm sure everyone has already talked to you about, where did that come from? What was the inspiration there? Uh, this is a really good question. I uh, Yeah, I keep receiving this question, and I think it's an important thing that you feel that it's, uh, yes, it's a different thing. But if you think about it kind of more closely, what we are doing actually as architects is creating some kind of stories all the time. We are talking to our clients, telling them stories. We are talking in to users. We are talking even to students. What we are doing all the time is we are telling stories, stories about buildings, stories about convincing people about how they are going to use and live in such buildings. But at the same time, if you go to the very, very long history of comics and graphic novel you'll find amazing architecture inside. So in a way, each one of us has this kind of habit to explore this world, to tell, to create those storyboards. And this is exactly what made me go to this world. I was excited and kind of when I was a child, I read a lot of graphic novels and comics. And I always, as I have this architectural kind of interest in myself, looking at the buildings more than the storyline itself. And I found always that I can relate to these buildings easily. And then I found this idea that actually graphic novels and comics is a very, very easy way to communicate ideas to other people, even if they are from outside your discipline as well. So this kind of what started this idea of a graphic novel but in a way, there was a kind of another story I can tell about how I started this exact graphic novel. 
as you said, there are very few books that are actually architectural graphic novels. If you have looked at um, uh, Bjork Engels, uh, uh, Yes is More, it's actually a kind of a graphic novel in a way. He's talking about his own practice in through the kind of the storyboard techniques and uh, technique and kind of inviting people to understand his building through these. But this was more of a formal, you can say, comic book rather than a story or a novel. And there is kind of, I think, a Citizen of No Place by Gemini's Lie as well. But these are the very few kind of graphic novels I have seen actually related directly to architecture. Uh, great. And I'll absolutely have to check those out as well. And so, you know, so one thing that, again, and this is, we had talked about this beforehand. And so the book is kind of a work of fiction. You have this very well thought out fictional universe, and we'll get into this later, but any practicing architect can relate to almost every story you have in here. But so could you perhaps walk us through a little bit this, you know, this city of Practiceopolis that you set up and how you used it to frame everything you talk about? Yeah, of course. I think the kind of the start is how Practisopolis came to life. This started with while I was doing my PhD at Newcastle University. And at the same time, I was practicing at design office. I, I have those kind of moments when you are stuck in your research and you don't know how to move forward. You, you kind of don't know exactly. And just go in a walk, just thinking about your life choices in a way. And then... <laughs> When I was kind of in the street uh, at Newcastle City Centre, I started to look at the buildings around me kind of in a different way. I started to see those buildings not as as we usually do in kind of architecture, as kind of uh, through history of architecture or architectural languages, but I have seen them as different practices talking to each other through their buildings. Each building is kind of an evidence of a way of thinking, an understanding of how architecture should be from the point of view of this practice. And then you will start to kind of imagine that those different buildings are actually talking to each other and in conflict, in kind of sometimes in agreement about how they perceive architecture. And this led me to draw a first sketch, a kind of a collage, bringing different practices from all over the world, different buildings, and just put them in one place and started to think, what will happen if we created this world, a kind of a fictional world that is totally about architecture? It's a universe for architects. And then the story started to move forward from there, from being just a city for architects to be part of a, a union of construction industry and start to kind of see these value conflicts between them, their interactions, their kind of points of agreements and so on. So in a way, it was this kind of point that you start with a sketch, you kind of talk to other people about it, and then they found, oh, this is interesting. And actually, my supervisor, Professor Adam Shaw, is the one who coined the term Practisopolis. I was calling it at the beginning the city of practice. Then we started, why not we turn it into opolis kind of realm? So it's practice and opolis creating this Practisopolis together. Very interesting. And so, and as you hinted at, you know, so you also, not just Practisopolis, but you also talk about it's a very interesting way to kind of talk about the different realms that are in the architectural profession and actually talk about them as nations and states, you know, there's constructopolis, et cetera. And so one thing I had mentioned, but not I would love for us to talk about a little more 
you know, any practicing architect who reads this, you know, of course, it's very dramatic. It's very exaggerated fiction. But every, in fact, every single story that <clears throat> you label as a clash, every architect has interacted with that before. I was wondering if you could go into that a little bit more. Yes, it's very dramatic and big in this, but it, it's all based on what the average architect is clashing, quote unquote, with almost on every project. Yeah, I completely agree with that. This is actually was happening while I was kind of delivering a project with design office uh, at Newcastle University at kind of a 25 million pound uh, project. And we had loads of kind of uh, design team meeting with consultants, with the contractor, with the project managers and so on. And, you know, you are stuck on your PhD, go to the meeting feeling that things are not going well as well with the project. Then you suddenly find the relation between them. I, my PhD was based on what they call research by design, and it's a new way of research, and you don't find a definition of the, how you kind of do this such type of research. But suddenly in those meetings, I found the connection. I found that I'm really frustrated with how we, I'm, I'm trying as an architect to convince other people from the kind of stakeholders and members of the team about my point of view. And on other times, feeling that my knowledge is not enough to convince them about my point of view because, you know, this kind of area where we as architects are more of generalists, we don't have the kind of the specialized knowledge that other members of the team know. So in a way, while it's called design team meeting, I was feeling that it's design team clashes. And in a way, this is where I found that Actually, this is not new. If you talk, as you said, to any architect, you will find loads of these kind of everywhere. I came later to a, a, a kind of, a, you can call it a novel, you can call it a book called The Honeywood Files that was written about 1920s. And it's talking about a story of an architect who was do, kind of cre making a building, designing and kind of supervising the building of uh, the Honeywood family. And if you see the details of the book, it will be exactly what we face in our kind of time now. So it's the same story. You just change problems with uh, the kind of builders at this time to problem with BIM library or BIM technologies or stuff like that. So it's in a way we are living on the same problems and with the same clashes. And I thought it's kind of a good opportunity through Practisopolis to exaggerate this a little bit more to other architects who will kind of feel it clearly and also to other members of the industry. Because at the end, I'm not trying to create a clash between architecture and other members of the industry, but in a way, as we call it a design team, we need to understand our priorities, our different philosophies and values, and then we can create an actual integration space, not just some kind of uh, generalistic or simplistic way of understanding the design team, but actually it's just fights that uh, ends with a compromise at the end. Absolutely. And so that kind of brings me to another point. And so... There's a lot of themes in the book, but there is a pretty pretty central conflict, we'll say, or clash in the book. And so you kind of talk about it, the idea that there's kind of two scenarios for architecture in the future. One being a very perfect utopia, pure integration, no mistakes, the true, I guess, as you just said, true design team. And then a kind of a more pessimistic side to it of kind of architecture, for lack of a better term, the architects kind of falling behind everyone and just following everyone else. 
I won't uh, I won't spoil it for anyone which direction the, the city of Practicopolis takes. But I, I found that to be a very interesting conflict, and I know it's one that you know academia and practicing architects have been talking about for the last I don't even know how many decades. Just wondering if you could go into that a little further. Yeah, of course. This is kind of uh, the the question of the future of architecture. You will find it in every time, especially from the late 19th century and going forward to our kind of current moment. And you will find, and this is what I call always the schizophrenic, schizophrenic nature of the architectural discipline. We feel that we are two different peoples and we are trying to kind of create some kind of a compromise between them. We There are certain people in architecture, or you can call it certain culture of practice, that kind of use the terminology of productivity, efficiency, standardization, uh, always kind of referring to risk management. And this is kind of a certain word, what I call technical rational practice, or the technical rational utopia in a way. And you can find evidence of this type of practice from, as I said, 19th century and 18th century, from uh, Jean-Nicolas Durand, the French architect, who started to kind of create manuals for architecture, where you kind of follow these steps, you will get to that kind of standardization and efficiency that should be done. And you will find loads of literature about that. And then move to another side of the story, you will find architecture totally not talking about efficiency and standardization, but more about the social and cultural way of inhabitation, architecture as a kind of a more of a narrative rather than a technical field. And both sides, although I exaggerated this a lot in architecture because uh, in this novel, because each one of us, of course, has a side of those. But I started to talk about our mainstream practice. When you go in the streets, away from architecture that you see in Arc Daily and Designs and uh, uh, this kind of lovely architecture that we talk about in our architecture schools, in a, in a way, and then go to the everyday architecture, you will find just generic buildings that are efficient, that tick all the boxes that are needed to be a safe building, but you will forget a building five minutes after you leave it. It's as good as it as it's still new, but when you leave it, it's that's it. And this is not exactly what we have been taught or what we are teaching in architectural education, for example, or you can see in many books related to architectural theory and architectural critical theory and cultural theory and so on. So in a way, those two different cultures will have different ideas about the future of architecture in a way. If you go through the book, you will find that I'm kind of adopting a view that there is more of a mainstream technical rational understanding of uh, architecture in our kind of mainstream practice. And there are loads of reasons about that. As I said, it's related a little bit to the certain view of architecture, but it's also related to globalization and architecture, the thinking of kind of new liberal society and new, sorry, new liberal economy and how we are more thinking about productivity, profitability, and so on. And this will lead to a certain model of practice that is always in a way hinting about the model of the automobile industry, where 
we want architecture to be, or the building industry in general, to be a no-mistake world, creating this kind of very, very efficient product. We are not talking exactly about architecture anymore. We are more talking about products that you can guarantee for a longer time. And in a way, there are a lot of clues that are telling us that we are kind of going at this towards this direction. And then there are other clues that may be saying that this world will not be as utopian as it looks like. And there are other clues saying something about losing the architecture practice or the architecture profession, the way the, that we kind of uh, perceive it at the moment, maybe losing its uniqueness and it's going further towards being a clog in a bigger machine that is kind of responsible only for producing aesthetics in a way or producing stylistic kind of part of architecture. So it became an add-on more than being a kind of an integrated member of the team that is leading the process or at least being a unique member of this kind of bigger process of building construction. Uh, great. Uh, so, uh, very thank you very much for that explanation of what we just discussed. I think that's very helpful. And so, one thing I'd like to talk about because I never like to inject my own opinion or bias into what I'm reading. It's after reading it, it did seem like there's sort of a call to action at the end. And it, if I understood, there's this idea that the the framework or this story could be used as some method for other projects to. And the way I read it to help uh, kind of stir your imagination and help you see some of the blind spots in the field, you know, I'll just come right out and ask, you know, did I kind of understand that correctly or, or am I off base there? Yeah, no, I think you, you're quite right about that. Of course, the book, when you read it, it's a provocative book. You can disagree with Absolutely. any kind of points at it. Some people would say this is just a very old-fashioned view of architecture. You're trying to push architecture to be the leading against it's the, a progressive view, a view to the building construction industry. Others will may kind of see it as, okay, we, you need to kind of understand that the architect's leading role is not there anymore, and you need to kind of accept the realities. And in a way, I just need to be clearer about this point before I go specifically to answer your question. I'm trying to be, yes, I'm saying things that are not very politically correct if you said them in kind of the design team meeting, but in a fictional world, you can say it. But at the same time, an important thing that is said within the novel is that I am myself is a technical rationalist by education, by practice. So in a way, I'm going, I'm trying to critique my own views, my own experience, my own knowledge in a way, and seeing it from the other point of view. And this is where I want to create this debate. I want each architect to kind of start to critique their own kind of frame of reference, what we think as for granted from our point of view, from the point of view of the other kind of uh, cultures practice. But at the end, the kind of the point of action that I'm trying to say here is I want architects first to try this method. Practisopolis is just a kind of a backdrop 
each one of us can tell their own stories in it. And you can start to read things that we just taken for granted as it's just the everyday practice. But actually, there are loads of lessons there about how we communicate practice, how we research our work, and how we kind of uh, deal with other professionals in the building process as well. The other thing is I'm trying to say that we have a value as architects, a value that's sometimes getting lost with a lot of kind of standardization terminologies and the very hard complexity that kind of contemporary construction industry is dealing with. But if we are not going to act now to market ourselves in a different way than saying that the construction industry is not understanding us anymore, we are actually may, I'll just say, may actually going to lose our position. And if we lose our position in the building production process, the big problem will be for the built environment. If you lose architects, you will lose a very, very important value. At the moment, the kind of people around are still kind of respecting architects, giving them certain cultural capital. But the big problem is the more we are moving towards production instead of the kind of the wider and broader view of building industry and building process as an integrated process that the architect has a very important kind of role in it, for its value in terms of spatial quality, in, in terms of kind of uh, uh, cultural and social understanding of inhabitation, and the kind of the wider terminology that we can use here is uh, in terms of design. So it's not just following certain steps to produce a building, but actually following certain steps to design a building. This is kind of what I'm trying to say through the whole book kind of being provocative, provocative sometimes, kind of making people disagree about certain points. But at the end, you will ask yourself those questions. How can I help the field and at the same time help the built environment by marketing our own value as architects? Absolutely. And I'm sure our viewers have noticed that we've sort of avoided talking about some of the specifics of the story. You know, every book on here, I always recommend that just listening to us talk is not enough. It's always important to read the book. And in this one, I can really make that plug as there is a very big narrative graphic novel aspect that we just can't convey in our, in our speak here. So I do hope everyone takes the chance to pick up a copy and read it. Yeah. Um, actually, just kind of, if I'm going quickly through the different chapter as if it's kind of, I'm putting a manual, a manual of how you can read this book. Because this is kind of a hard-to-place book. Sometimes you feel it's a kind of an academic book. Sometimes you feel it's targeting practitioners. A little bit of the story of the kind of Practisopolis itself and its history kind of may uh, kind of lean towards the student's world as well. So in a way, usually I say if you are an academic, start with the essays that I started the book with then go through the novel. But also, you can immediately go to the graphic part of the novel and then come back and ask questions about those essays, written essays in the beginning. Because it's kind of, the book is, uh, I can kind of just, if I go through its kind of different chapters and so on, I can say that it starts with an, a kind of short essay raising many questions about the 
architecture profession, its relation with the building industry, and so on, and questions about its future. Then the book goes to this universe of Practisopolis, where you kind of go through this idea of architecture profession, how to start it from the master builders, and going through this idea of kind of uh, splitting or dividing the division between design and production, and then creating what I call the word of architectopolis that went through the kind of the 19th century and 20th century to the moment that we have those kind of uh, domination of technical rational practices and then a more of democracy that created this world of practicopolis afterwards. So this is kind of coming back to this universe of practicopolis and how it's created, building the kind of the building blocks of this city and understanding this world. So in a way, you go afterwards to different stories, you know this background, and you go to different stories about certain buildings. I myself is one of the kind of the characters uh, in the stories, and I kind of used some of my friends who worked with me, some of people that I dealt with through the story, of course, changed many of the names, but it's kind of coming across some of these. And then the book ends with the questions that you have raised in the previous uh, kind of your previous question about the future and those the debates between the different kind of views or cultures of practicing architecture. Very interesting, and so yeah, and again, I did I won't spoil anything in the actual narrative itself, but uh, so you know, question I always have then is you know, so since the book's been released, you know. What have you been working on? You know, are there sequels in mind? What what other projects have you taken on since the book came out? Uh, actually, there is some kind of a different kind of initial project that I'm working on at the moment. One of them was actually a spinoff, more than a sequel. So it went in more detail to the the story of Practisopolis as a city, the history behind it. So it's. In a way, the book itself has an abstract or a brief history of Practisopolis, but this time it became. Uh, kind of a more of a short magazine talking about the history of architecture profession, not just the history of architecture as building, but how the architecture profession itself kind of started to create this or shape up until the moment that we have it at the moment. And uh, we, I'm working on a symposium now and an edited book related to this idea of representation in architecture and how we are representing our practice into kind of through new mediums that were not kind of the usually common before and how we can communicate this to make a transferable and accessible way of understanding architecture as research and as practice away from the traditional way or conventional way of communicating with people about it. Very interesting. Maybe someday we'll be talking again about any of those. <laughs> well, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. No, thanks a lot, Brian, for this opportunity. It's kind of nice to, to kind of remembering the history of this book. It's just, uh, I remember, sorry to interrupt again, but I remember something, especially with uh, the kind of the election these days and so on. An important thing that maybe I'll just end with uh, my talk today is something that made me think about Practisopolis and how to create this political world in a way was actually one when I was doing this it was the time of the referendum of the UK leaving the EU and so on and 
Yeah, actually, what happened at this time is it started, okay, think about architecture as the UK and the building industry as the EU. We are part of you, but at the same time, we want to be more independent. So how this kind of clash is created, in a way, what is happening in real politics is that UK is leaving the EU, but I'm not sure if this is kind of what is going to happen to architecture in this bigger island of constructopolis. Are they going to leave the union? Is this possible? Or are they going to integrate more with this union? So in a way, this metaphor created this word. And I think if you relate a lot of questions that we have about architecture to politics, you will start to understand architecture better in a way. That's a, a great way to make the comparison. I was not aware of that when reading it, so that, that puts quite a bit of it in reference, actually. <laughs> thank you. Well, it's, so, so thank you for that. And so the book is Practiceopolis, Stories from the Architectural Profession. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you and have a great day. And thank you again for speaking with me. Thanks a lot, uh, Brian, for that. And hope to kind of meet you and speak to you again in another book. Absolutely. Yeah.